You're listening to Coaching for Leaders. This is episode number 31, airing on April 2nd, 2012. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to Coaching for Leaders. This is the show for leaders who want to engage and develop others without relying on authority or sanctions. Whether you're a seasoned leader or leading people for the first time, improving your coaching skills will drive your success and most importantly, the success of others. This week's topic is five effective ways to train the people you lead. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Coaching for Leaders. My name is Dave Stahoviak and I'm coming to you from our studio out here in Orange County, California. I hope that this episode finds you doing well. And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. This is the show for folks who care about engaging and developing others and doing so in such a way where people want to be led by you, not just feel like they have to be led by you. And you'll remember last week we kicked off a series on training and how to train the people we lead. And we took a look at some of the mistakes that leaders make when doing training and sending people to training. And so if you didn't have a chance to check that out, make sure to check out episode number 30. You can find that at coachingforleaders.com and check out that episode as well. But today we're going to actually move forward and take a look at what are some effective ways that you can train the people that you lead. And I was reading this week in the book, Employee Training and Development from Raymond No. And he defines training as uh, training refers to a planned effort by a company to facilitate employees' learning of job-related competencies. And so what we're doing when we're training is trying to help people to learn competencies that are going to help them do whatever it is they're assigned to do or hired to do more effectively. Now, I'll even broaden this definition a little bit and say it doesn't just have to be a company and it doesn't have to be just an employee. Uh, There are a number of people who listen to this show who are in nonprofit organizations, leading people, doing volunteer work. All of those situations are just as important for training and one may argue even more so because in those situations, you don't even have as, as much access to tools and resources as you do in the business world. So our goal as leaders is to help those we lead really master the knowledge, skills, and behaviors that they learn during training, and then of course be able to apply them consistently in whatever work they're doing. And if we can do that, we're on the path to helping um, really develop people through good training practices. And so as you're listening today to these suggestions on ways you can more effectively train the people you lead, you may want to call in and leave some feedback for me or a comment or question. And you can do so by uh, leaving a message at this number, and that is 949-38-LEARN. And of course, you're also welcome to email in feedback anytime. And that email address is feedback at coachingforleaders.com. And those of you who like to use Skype, our Skype name is Innovate Learning. So you can drop us a line there as well. So let's jump in and look at these five effective ways that you can train the people that you lead. 
Now, as we consider these five types of ways that you can offer training and that you as a leader can do that, by the way, you don't necessarily have to have the organization or someone else uh, doing this for you. It's great if you work in an organization where you have access to a lot of training resources, but not everybody does. And so this list is really looking at uh, regardless uh, if you, or irregardless, <laughs> apparently those words mean the same thing, but regardless of whether you have the access to all kinds of training resources or not, these five things are things that you should be able to do as a leader, even if you have very little access or no access to any other resources. And the thing, of course, you always have to look at, and we always want to consider when we're thinking about training, like any activity we do as a leader, is balancing these the tension between these three things, cost, quality, and time. So how much is whatever training I'm going to be doing with the people that I'm leading, how much is that going to cost, uh, not only in uh, you know what we would do to either uh, teach or hire or train someone or bring in resources or materials, but also, uh, you know, what kind of time cost is it on that day or however long that period of time is? We also want to, of course, look at uh, time itself. What's the length of time that this is going to take to develop whatever skills and behaviors we're trying to develop? And is that time worth the investment that we would make? And then, of course, we also want to be very focused on quality. And not just quality of the training, by the way, the quality of the results. So that's a key thing for us to keep in mind. And I say that because whenever we're thinking of how we're going to train people, we need to take people into account, the people we are training. So we may have the best possible uh, online class for somebody to learn a new skill. And if they hate learning online and really do not work with that methodology, then that is not the right format for them, even though it may be cost-effective, quality material, and take very little time. So we always want to be taking people into account, and that's an overarching uh, umbrella that we should always be looking at when we're considering not only how to train people, but how to develop and engage them in general. So let's look at these five ways that we can train the people we lead, whether you have access to outside resources or not. And the first one is to hold a class. Now, this is a very uh, general term for getting a bunch of people together in one place to learn together. Now, the reason that this is uh, that doing a class can be helpful is uh, and why you would do it is you have a lot of people that need to learn something at the same time. So say, for example, uh, as a leader, you are introducing a new skill, a new process, a new procedure, and everyone's going to need to learn that. Everyone's going to benefit from it. And maybe it's even a one-time type thing. And so if you can get everyone together to do that, that is probably more effective than trying to do something piecemeal. Uh, the other reason that a lot of times organizations and leaders will look to doing a class is the content of whatever that we're trying to learn, that knowledge, skill, or behavior really lends itself to doing something in person. And I say that because I have seen organizations and leaders do uh, do things that don't lend themselves to um, being done online. So for example, I've seen organizations try to do things like teach speaking and presentation skills uh, online. 
And so that's probably not something that's going to lend itself very well to being taught online. You can learn some of the skills and the principles online, but the actual practice, if you want to get good at that, is something you're going to need to do in person. So that's that's a opportunity to really provide a class. Now, one of the things you always want to ask yourself, and I'm always asking myself anytime that I'm involved in any type of training program, which I've been many, many times over the years, and I learned to ask this question from one of my mentors uh, who first uh, taught me a lot about the training industry, is what do I want people walking out of this room doing differently? I'll say that again. What do I want people walking out of this room doing differently? And in fact, that's one of the questions I always ask our clients whenever we're sitting down to talk about a training program is to find out what do they really expect people to do differently. And then we build the training program around that. So we're building what will happen by the objectives of what they want to achieve versus something else. And unfortunately, the something else tends to get in its way a lot. So one cautionary note is that if you're going to be training people in a classroom environment is to focus on the objectives versus focusing on the logistics. And I can't tell you how many times in the in my professional life that I have walked into situations or I've been involved in in helping an organization plan a training and plan what their employees and or their team members are going to be learning. And they spend more time on things like what kind of food's going to be there, how much time do we have, what room's available. I, I'm amazed, especially at how training decisions are driven by how much time we have. Uh, we only have the room for three hours, so this will be the the content that we'll teach this quarter or this year or this month. And that really is not the way to approach training at all. Uh, you know, it's, it's sort of the same thing that people do uh, and that kind of flips in people's brains when they're planning their wedding. Uh, people spend, in some cases, many years <laughs> thinking about and planning what their wedding's going to be like, what the uh, what the dress is going to look like, what the flowers are going to be, uh, you know, uh, who's going to take the photographs, all the things that go along with having a beautiful wedding. And all those things are nice. I mean, Bonnie and I had a beautiful wedding, and so we did some planning around that. But they spend more time. A lot of people spend more time planning that than they do planning out their marriage. Now I know for Bonnie and me, we we certainly spent some time planning our wedding, but we've had a lot more invested in our life on planning our marriage because that's what's really important. When you get people in a class, same thing. What's important is what you want them walking out of the room doing differently. Uh, what kind of lunch meets on the sandwich is is important, but it's less so. So make sure you have the big thing be the big thing, which is what do you want people doing differently and design the experience around that. And if that means you need an extra hour for the room that's not available, maybe you choose a different room or choose a different location. So I really challenge you as a leader, if you are doing a class, really get into that mindset of helping people walk out doing something differently and designing what it is you'll say during that experience, even if it's just a staff meeting, to drive that goal. Now, here's the second one. The second thing you can do to train people you lead is on-the-job training. Now, when this is helpful is uh, when 
and, and when learning really lends itself to this, is when there's fewer resources and or time that's available. So there may not be the resource to do a full class. There may not be the time involved to really sit down with someone and walk through something step-by-step outside of the normal work environment. And it also tends to lend itself well when there's you know maybe one or two individuals that are learning something new uh, by themselves versus a whole group of people. It may not make sense to really dedicate all the time and resources to, um, to what you would do for a class. So on-the-job training can be very helpful. And, and of course, the other reason too is there are certain things that you, you just need to be able to sort of learn as you do them. And so now a lot of organizations talk about on-the-job training, but few really do it. Now, the wrong perspective on this is, uh, and, and, I've, and I've seen many people joke about this over the years, is they'll say, oh, our training program, it's on-the-job training. And, and the reality is, is it's more of a throw people into the uh, shark tank and see how they do and not really support them with strategy and a process to help them be successful. So on-the-job training is does not mean, uh, you know, we it does not mean uh, throwing someone in and seeing how they do. That's not on-the-job training. That's just uh, throwing someone in and seeing how they do. There's no strategy behind that. The right perspective is having a clear objective on what you want the person to learn during an established time period. So here's what that would look like if you're truly doing on-the-job training is you want to spend some time in advance preparing for what it is you're going to be training that other individual or group of individuals. So that means spending some time in advance prior to that person showing up or prior to that activity happening of thinking through uh, what types of situations do I want to show this person today? What objective am I leading to? Uh, what resources and materials might I need in order to do that? Uh, what venues, what rooms, uh, what kind of time am I going to need in order to uh, do uh, some on-the-job work with someone that I maybe not, wouldn't normally schedule? So that's step one as leaders. We need to be able to prepare. And then, of course, when we're doing on-the-job trainings, we want to start off first by demonstrating it. We shouldn't just be starting by throwing someone in and not giving them any context for what it is that they should be doing. As a leader, we want to demonstrate first so we can show exactly what we uh, are teaching them and show them the full process. And then once we've done that, we can explain each piece. So showing it first, then explaining each piece, and then allowing the other person to do it, to try it out. And that's, of course, where we'd step in and provide some coaching and feedback. And we've talked about this in earlier episodes too, but find the things that people are doing well, especially if they're learning something for the first time. By all means, give constructive feedback too, but be sure to find the things that people are doing well when they make changes, when they improve, praise that improvement, uh, and you will see some good results happen with people being able to be interactive in their on-the-job training. Now, the third area that you can absolutely do as a leader is to do something called role-playing. And, uh, you know, some people like role-playing. Most people don't. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't run into people a whole lot who say they love role-playing, but it can be a very effective tool. And the great thing about role-playing 
is uh, you, you do need to do a little preparation for it, but it's something you can do just about anywhere and it doesn't take a lot of time and it doesn't take a lot of resources. And so uh, where this can be helpful, especially, is teaching something that requires a lot of human interaction and thinking on your feet. And I say that because in role plays, inevitably, uh, you're going to come into situations where things aren't planned. It's more of a uh, just kind of a you have a the person or who's stepping into a role uh, assumes the role of a customer or a colleague, and the person who's who's handling that situation or responding to it or practicing how they'd handle that dialogue uh, doesn't have all of the information, and just like they wouldn't in real life. So they're practicing how to think on their feet and react to people and ask questions and listen and have good dialogue. It's exceptionally important uh, to be able to do. And so uh, what it helps to do is get people to practice as to how they'd actually handle a situation. So a couple of things you want to do when you're doing a role play, if you can, is first of all, again, demonstrate the way that you'd like to see it done, or at least one effective way that it could be done. So to provide that demonstration as a leader, to then give the parties a chance to practice, and then of course, to coach and provide some feedback. Now, depending on your how you've set this up and your trust level with the people you're working with, you might do some coaching in the moment, as in you might stop and start again and do some coaching and, and do some tweaking, or you may give feedback at the end. Uh, so that just depends on how you set it up. If you do coaching in the moment, make sure you talk about that in advance because you want to set good expectations as to how you're going to interact and how you're going to help people to learn as you're going through that role play. Now, I actually don't like to use the term quote-unquote role play. I, uh, I like the term real play uh, for a couple reasons. One is it's not role playing <laughs> because uh, role playing is, has a lot of uh, negative connotations to it for some people. But the other thing that the, the other reason I use the term real play is to change the focus of how you would do a role play. And a lot of times a role play is a quote unquote made up situation. And sometimes I found over the years that people have a hard time getting their heads around a made up situation because they say, well, it's not real life. Uh, it's not really how I would um, how I would respond or handle this situation, so it's not fair. So what I try to do is whenever I'm working with people and helping them to learn a new skills, I'll try to do what I call real play, which means rather than a made-up situation, is to actually take an actual situation. So one example of that is when I teach people, uh, when I teach leaders how to use that from model that I talked about in episode two of the Coaching uh, for Leaders show here, the of how to build rapport with people. I'll teach them that model. I'll demonstrate it. And then I'll have them get together with someone. If it's a class or even if it's just kind of one-on-one, -on -one, I'll have them get together with someone or just get together with me. And I'll say, rather than just talk about this theoretically or to practice a made-up scenario, um, I'd actually like you to partner with someone and walk through building rapport with them like you don't know them. And in many cases, if it's a, especially if it's a classroom exercise, I will have them partner with someone in the room they don't know, or at least they don't know very well, and walk through that. And that way, the quote-unquote role play becomes real life because they're actually doing what they would do if they were um, using this skill anyway. So I encourage you, if you are doing role playing, it's a great tool to utilize. See if you can find a real live application to do it. And if you can, it becomes even more real to people 
in their minds and in practice. Now, the uh, fourth thing that you can do is to do some training online. And the great thing about online training and learning these days is that there's so much available. There's so many resources and tools, and it's great when there's knowledge that is going to be repeatable and maybe scaling to a large group of people. If you can get it online, that's a great way to really help you uh, save time uh, and cost. In addition, you can also do it once and do a really good quality job of uh, providing good knowledge and skills. Now, uh, you don't have to do this yourself as a leader. I mentioned all these things are things you could do yourself. You don't have to do online yourself. Now, you certainly could, um, and I know people who have done that. My my brother actually has done a great job with this. Uh, my brother owns a Petland pet franchise out in the Midwest, and he kind of got interested in doing some online learning a couple years ago, and so he produced a couple of videos that he posted on a website for the employees of his store. And he did a really nice job with it one time, posted them up, and uh, it worked so well and was so effective that the uh, corporation actually (laughs) contracted with him to uh, prepare videos and online training for the entire organization, all 80 stores or something that they have. And so, you know, I think it's a great example of how you, you don't need a lot of time and resources, but you don't have to do that yourself. So if you work in a larger organization and you have the resources available to do that, find out what are the things, ask yourself, what are the things that I continually am teaching people that I have to repeat again and again and again and I keep saying the same things, and it's kind of knowledge that we could capture and put in one place, that's, that's a can be a very good thing to bring online. And here's the other thing too, is you can also tap into other resources and other organizations that have online material and content out there. So uh, one example of that is an organization that Bonnie and I use extensively called lynda.com. And lynda.com is a uh, is a, uh, a service that teaches people how to uh, do uh, how to learn software programs online. It used to be if you wanted to learn something like Microsoft Word or how to uh, or how to do Photoshop, you you know would sign up, you'd pay a couple hundred dollars, you'd go to an all day class, you'd sit through the class, and you know maybe twenty percent of the class were things you really needed to know, and you know the you know. <laughs> Half the other half of the class was things you already knew, and the other, you know, there was another half of the class that was things you didn't want to know, but you had to kind of sit through the whole class. You don't have to do that anymore in today's, uh, you know, kind of today's world. Uh, Lynda.com is a great example of, you know, you can go on, you can find exactly what you want to learn on each software product. You can click on that eight minute video for just that little piece of it, and it walks you through step by step how to do everything. Bonnie and I use Lynda.com extensively because we're always learning new software tools and products for use with our clients and use with the projects that we're working on. And so we have a relationship, an affiliate relationship with them. And you can actually sign up uh, through our link for a seven-day free trial for lynda.com, which you normally can't do on their main website. So if you're interested in doing that, here's the address to go to. It's innovatelearning.com forward slash lynda, L-Y-N-D-A. So it's a little different spelling. And uh, that'll allow you to tap into a seven-day trial. If you do any kind of teaching people how to use software, 
uh, or learning software yourself or anything in your leadership capacity, definitely check that out. It's so much easier than teaching people software yourself or sending people to a in-person class. Um, and by the way, that is an affiliate link. What that means is that if you, after the seven-day trial, you decide you want to sign up for a membership with them, we get a tiny little commission on that. And of course, uh, anything we'd earn through a commission through that, we would invest back into the production of this show. So thanks in advance if you use that link. And if you don't want to use our link, just go to lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A. And that will be, of course, in the show notes as well for episode number 31 here. And then finally, the fifth way that you can train others is through social learning. Now, you're probably wondering, what is social learning? Well, there's a term that's being utilized a lot in uh, in in the world today that's called connectivism. And connectivism is the philosophy and or the belief that most knowledge exists in the world rather than in the head of any single individual. So that rather than trying as an individual to get as much as we can into our own heads of really tapping into our connected networks to develop ourselves and have access to information. I tap into this constantly. There are countless blogs, podcasts, relationships that I tap into for knowledge because I know that I can't possibly know everything myself. I mean, I would just I would get swamped with knowledge and information and many of us do in today's world. So uh, one example of that is I'm part of a year-long mastermind group right now that's led by a gentleman named Cliff Ravenscraft who does consulting to help people who uh, are like uh, our organization who are running podcasts and helping to get their message out to the world through podcasting and so doing shows like this. And so um, what I ha- one of the things I've invested my time and resources in this year is getting together with a whole bunch of people, about 40 other people uh, around the world who are also doing podcasting in their organizations and and reaching out through you know some of these new media methods. And you know the reason I did that was not because of the tools or resources that came along with that. Uh, the real reason I did it is because there are some people who are in that group that are very effective at what they do and are very knowledgeable and have knowledge that I don't have. And I want to be connected with them because I know that they're going to help me to learn uh, from them. I know that they're going to learn something from me. And so uh, it's all about those relationships of being able to tap into the people who I know are the experts in particular areas. And so as a leader, one of the things that I always try to do is spend time helping people strategize what kind of social learning they're going to do. And so one of the things that I challenge you to do as a leader as well is to do some thinking with people of starting to suggest suggest relationships that they may want to consider, that they may want to tap into. Maybe they're relationships with people neither of you know. Maybe they're relationships with people you know. Regardless of, of what kind of relationships they are, though, is really to do some strategy around who are the people you should know? Uh, what kind of things do they know that you could learn from them? And then also bringing in some of the tools and resources that are so available to all of us today, like websites and videos. Um, I would challenge you to bring those into your interactions with the people you lead. Uh, sit down, show people different tools, resources. I know Bonnie and I do this all the time. We're constantly uh, emailing each other, talking about different 
you know, YouTube videos we've seen, websites, um, information online, uh, newsletters, stories. And, you know, 15 years ago, this was really hard to do, uh, much more so. Now you can share things so quickly. So I would, I would challenge you to bring those into your staff meetings and, and provide people with resources and tools and, and other things, you know, you can share too, things like podcasts. You know, some of you have emailed me and, you know, probably the nicest emails I've gotten since we started doing the show uh, are from a few of you who've emailed me and said, hey, I, I, I really enjoy your show. And oh, by the way, I have several people listening to the show who I lead and, and I'm having them listen to learn some of these tools as well, too. I can't think of any greater honor you, <laughs> you could bestow upon us in passing along this to people you lead. But that's just another example of how social learning and through and learning online can really uh, provide some amazing ability to connect and to tap into that vast knowledge base that's out there and to be able to locate information that you that is going to be important for you. And one of the things I always tell people who are uh, teaching or, or, or who are in graduate programs, I do a little teaching in graduate programs. Um, and I always say is, you know, it's, it's not about getting smart. You, you don't go to school and, and, you know, college and graduate school and all those things to get smart. Uh, there's tons of smart people out there who, you know, have degrees, don't have degrees, whatever. The, the real skill that you learn if you're smart in a, in a graduate program is you learn how to find information. You learn how to get connected with people. And so I would, I would really challenge you as a leader to um, spend time challenging the people you lead to get connected, to learn how to find information, to find good tools and resources. Share the ones you're using. If you do that, you are going to help them to be able to learn even more quickly. So hopefully those five uh, resources, those five, different, uh, those five different ways will help you to train the people you lead more effectively. And oh, by the way, in the coming weeks, we're going to go into even more detail on a few of these areas so that you can be as effective as possible at implementing them. And now this is the point in the show where we jump into some com- some community news and feedback. And so again, if you have uh, feedback, comments, or questions for me, or anything we're talking about on the show relating, especially in the coming weeks here, relating to training and wanting to know about training and how you can train people effectively, by all means, get in touch with me. You can leave a message at 949-38-LEARN, or you can send feedback to feedback at coachingforleaders.com. And of course, again, our Skype name is Innovate Learning. And this week, I have some audio feedback from David Farber. David and I were speaking over email about productivity from a few episodes ago, and he mentioned something that he's utilized before called a desk audit. And I said, you know, I've never, I haven't heard of a desk audit. Tell me more about it. And so we were talking a little bit about it online, and he was telling me about what it is and, you know, how he keeps it from being uh, micromanagement. And I said, hey, would you mind, uh, you know, leaving us a audio uh, message real quick here and just walking us through how you do it and uh, how you how you keep it uh, good communication with it? And he said, absolutely. So here's a uh, audio message from David Farber on the desk audit. David, take it away. Hello, this is David Farber. The explanation for the desk check audit 
is that it's a tool for leaders. This is how it works. The leader can go up to someone's desk and ask them about the task to take up the time during their day. Tasks sometimes end up on their desks because of temporary staff shortages, covering for an extended leave of absence for someone else, even just vacations. The tasks don't take much time, so we keep doing them. Sometimes they never migrate back away. So, it's not just the task, it's the accumulation of tasks that get on our desks. The accumulation of tasks end up creating a large chunk of time. As a leader, we're able to go and remove that chunk of time and redelegate it. This does a couple things. It reinforces the person's sense of purpose for the organization. It tells them their time is important and they should contribute on the skill set that they have for the company. It also expands on their ability to create their autonomy in their position. You also asked me about how does that seem like it might be micromanaging? Well, the, the secret to keeping it from being micromanaging is simply addressing it up front. As a leader, I'm able to help you clear up some of the tasks on your desk, so I'm going to ask you what you have and how I can help. I hope that's a helpful explanation, and I appreciate your request for the feedback. Have a great one. Hey, David, thank you so much for calling in that feedback and walking us through the process of how to do the desk audit. I so appreciate it. And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, David and I, uh, I think, are very much in agreement on is just the importance of being able to communicate with people and giving them good expectations up front. And you heard that in his message as well, too. So thanks so much for uh, calling that in, David, and look forward to talking more with you about other tools and resources here going forward. And of course, if you have suggestions for us as well, feel free to drop me a line uh, with the contact information just mentioned. And I have two pieces of news. Speaking of investing back in this show, as I was mentioning earlier, uh, two pieces of news for the community here this week. Uh, First piece of news is you may have already noticed there is a brand new logo for the show. So when you view the show on iTunes or the BlackBerry podcast store or uh, download it, you may see our new logo and uh, hope you like it. Love to hear your feedback on it. Hopefully it'll be a good representation of this show and a nice uh, professional representation of what we do. And then secondly, we have also decided to launch a Facebook page that is dedicated specifically to the show and to the listeners of the show. And so if you are a Facebook user and you like to go on and stay connected with organizations and products and services and things like that that you have an interest in, I would encourage you to hop onto Facebook and what you want to search for in the search box is just search for Coaching for Leaders and you'll see our new logo pop up there. And if you get to the right page, you'll see my smiling face on the front of the page there too. Uh, And uh, if you get there, hit like, join us on the page there, and you'll keep getting updates not only about this show, but also about some of the other tools and resources that we'll be putting up there that we feel would be helpful to you as a leader. So you definitely want to check that out as well too. And that's just going to about do it for our time here today. Hey, just a reminder, if you have found this show valuable, either this episode or this entire series, and you use iTunes, help us keep this show running and grow the community of people who care 
about developing others and engaging them, uh, go and direct your browser to itunes.coachingforleaders.com or just search for us on iTunes. And if you would take a moment to leave us a review, we'd certainly appreciate it. And of course, you can link to the show notes on our website at coachingforleaders.com. This is episode number 31. Hey, if you or your organization is looking to improve the coaching skills of its leaders, give us a call. We might be able to help out. 949-38-LEARN. And of course, if you have any comments, questions, or feedback, feedback at coachingforleaders.com. Hey, wherever you are in the world, whatever is on your agenda today, take one idea from this show today to engage and develop someone you lead. Take care, everybody.